Today, my guest is Rodney Anderson. Rodney is a lifelong Grand Prairian who graduated from Grand Prairie High School in 1986 and received his bachelor's degree in real estate from UTA in 1990. In 2010, he decided to serve his city and was elected to serve in the Texas House of Representatives. During his time in office, he fought for the private property rights of citizens of the state and was recognized to the 2011 Legislative Honor Roll by the Texas Association of Realtors. In 2019, he was elected as the chairman of the Dallas County Republican Party. He talks to me today about how bills become laws, how citizens of the state can change legislation through their elected officials, and how to have an effective voice in their state of Texas. Without further ado, here's Rodney Anderson. Hello, sir. Hey, guys. Well, I... I have to tell you, um, you are the number one suggested person for me to have interviewed. Like, since I started all this, I'm not kidding. Like, every time I say anything, people are like, have you talked to Ronnie? Have you talked to Ronnie? <laughs> That's very flattering to hear. Very flattering to hear. Yes. Well, so um, just a little bit of background on you. So you did, you graduated from Grand Prairie High School. Mm-hmm. So you've lived in Grand Prairie your whole life. Yep. I was born and raised here. Used to used to throw the Grand Prairie Daily News. That's oh. how I've been here. Yes, I interviewed Randy Jennings. We kind of talked about the Grand Prairie Daily News a little bit. And that was some. I actually have some old clippings that Randy. Jen, it's funny. I actually have them at. Hang on. <laughs> Let's see if what I pull out here has his name on it. Oh, that's a wedding deal. I bet this is. Uh, Let's see. Yep. Uh, if you happen to see it, uh, yeah, I don't. It's it's Randy Jennings. Is it, it, I don't know. If yes. It shows up backwards in my. We, you know, this COVID thing. We've uh, we've been cleaning up some of our old, uh, you know, those closets that you never go into, and those yep. boxes you never go into. Uh, yep. Um, my wife has successfully done a lot of that, and uh, we came across some old clippings and. Uh, I haven't had a chance to read them. She was just throwing throwing stuff away. I'm like, I want to see what's in there. You know, it's just you know, fun times back when back when uh, journalism, uh, uh, local journalism, really meant something. And, it, and you know, you could look and you could see that your your uh, your grandson had uh, gone two for three in the local you know baseball game or whatnot. You know, lots of fun stuff like that. Yeah, so that's, he and that's I how far back I go. It, it's definitely. He and I talked a lot about that. We actually talked about the wedding. He goes, you know, when you had that, that when that was your job in the local paper to mm-hmm. report on the weddings, he goes, yep. you want to know how people got involved in that kind of thing. He's like, you better hope that you reported it accurately yep. and the right yep. picture was used. It, it was kind yep. of funny. <laughs> yeah, those are the, the, but good times. But yeah, I, I was born and raised here in Grand Prairie, grew up just up from Cottonwood Park, uh, which is now Jennifer McFall's Park for the, for the, the, for the new folks. Uh, and Talking to her on Thursday. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and rightfully so. I mean, do you, you, how many Olympians do we have from Grand Prairie? I mean, there's there's a few, but there's not many. Uh, yeah. So no, no offense to Miss McFalls, that I still call it Cottonwood Park. It's just, uh, it's, you know, we, we grew up there. And uh, 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 then I went on to UT Arlington and mm-hmm. uh, got a degree uh, uh, in uh, real estate from UT Arlington. And actually went to school there on the uh, Durwood Sutton Real Estate Scholarship. And for some of the old, other old timers in Grand Prairie, 
they'll recognize wow. the name Durwood Sutton, uh, one of the old line bankers in town. And uh, you know, Marshall, uh, his son is, is still still here and uh, still doing some banking work as well. So anyway, long time off. But I, I, I'm one of the guys that uh, uh, I was not part of when I say the in crowd. I was kind of the, the outsider, politically speaking. And uh, uh, so, you know, politics has been an interesting time over the last uh, about 10 years uh, for me mm -hmm. and still involved in it today. So where did, when did you graduate? What year? 86. 86. 86 from Bradford High School. And, gotcha. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, I am a child of the 80s. And anyone who, who says that 80s music uh, is not the best decade of music obviously has no taste in music. <laughs> <laughs> I recently, I started watching a bunch of 80s movies. Like I I've always, cause I was born in 1980. So probably the That's, childhood movies that I watched and ones that you watched were might have been a little bit different. Yeah, but oh yeah. There was, yeah. there was 80s movies I started catching up on. And uh, I actually really want to do like a limited series podcast about like watching 80s movies as an adult versus watching them as a child. And totally different. Interesting. Yes, <laughs> totally. <laughs> I would love to see them try and make Breakfast Club today. Oh. Caddyshack. Uh, <laughs> try yeah, making Caddyshack. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, there's, there's certain movies that, you know, that even, uh, you know, some of the high school coming of age movies you could not make these days. I watched Fast Times at Ridgemont High and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> that it was bad. It was bad, bad. So like, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, but so it's I, that's you know, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is one of those movies I you know, I'll watch. Uh, all, you know, just when it comes on, whether it starts at the very beginning or the very end, it, it really doesn't matter. It's just you know, again being a, a child of the '80s. That's just um, you know that that's just me. Uh, but then again, I have you know, very strange and eclectic tastes in movies and uh, and music. I love '80s music, but uh, but you're um, a teenager when that came out see that's totally different uh completely yeah, completely different yeah uh, yeah completely different so as a 40 year old mother i can't watch that movie <laughs> like, no, <laughs> no it's a, it, it is it is different uh it, it definitely is different and just for the record that's a coke that's not a course loud or anything like that that, that is a, yeah i got my i got my dad dr pepper in my little texas cup today so um but for those that don't know you went on to you were a representative um, with the state, you were um, oh, the state rep. I was ele yes. I elected in 2010, served in uh, 11 and 12. Uh, redistricting uh, drew me out. The long story that I came back, served two more terms uh, from uh, 14 to 18, and uh, and it it, it it's real. That was a really interesting period of time, and I think that's what was some of the things we're going to talk about today. Of yeah. You know, you, you know, again, as a child of the 80s, you grow up uh, watching Schoolhouse Rock. And, you know, I'm just a bill, a bill on Capitol Hill. Um, that is a great textbook example of the way a bill works and has absolutely nothing to do with the way the process <laughs> actually, actually works. It is, uh, uh, it, it is uh, as Bo Pilgrim once said about uh, boneless chicken, it's a mind boggling thing. And if you're, it, unless and until you've actually been in the middle of that, of that uh, process, uh, it's like trying to explain to someone what milk tastes like who's never tasted <laughs> milk before. 
It right. just you, unless you've been a part of the process, uh, you just can't do it justice. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's part of the exact reason I'm having you on today. I mean, um, is to kind of talk a little, little bit about how the state of Texas, as far as from a government perspective, how it kind of works, how it functions, and then. Um, and I felt like you were the perfect person to talk about this because especially now when you're going through, I think that sometimes people don't really question a lot of that stuff unless there's a reason to. And right now we have the whole COVID thing going on. And mm -hmm. so my question immediately was like, where do counties fit into this? Like, is it counties? Is it cities? And then how does that go? And so it's just, there's just a bunch of different questions. So I guess my first question would be, does Texas function the same as other states in the United States? In most respects, yes. Uh, Texas has a, you know, a, a it's called a bicameral uh, 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 government where we have both a house, a state house, a state senate. We have a governor and we have a, and we have a Supreme Court and we have a court system to oversee. So it's, it really is modeled after most of the country. You still have uh, one state, I believe, that's, that is unicameral, which is that means they just the House and Senate are all self-contained. Mm -hmm. uh, but in general, we operate uh, the the state operates at the the same way even the federal government does. Uh, the House and the Senate, uh, you know, the House will generate a bill, or the Senate will generate a bill. It'll go over to the other. It'll go over to the to the other side. They have to approve it. They have to sign off on it. Once they sign off on it, it goes to the governor. If the governor decide, you know, vetoes it, he can veto it or she can veto it in that case. And it's, and it's been that way for, uh, you know, you know, 200 and however, however since 1845. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's interesting because uh, you see these, these swings, if you go back historically, uh, the state of Texas was up until about 1990, uh, almost an entirely democratically run state, Democrat run state. Uh, up until about 1990, there were, you know, three or four uh, Republicans in the House, maybe five or six, uh, dating back into the, you know, into the 80s. I, can't, I may be getting my dates mixed up. You had three or four back in the 80s. Once uh, in 90 is when it actually flipped, uh, came over uh, onto the uh, Republican side. Uh, but you go back into the 70s and 80s, and it was a completely democratically run state. The, the Democrats in those days uh, were uh, almost uh, as divided as Republicans can be today in this state, where you have you know, moderate Republicans, uh, uh, more conservative Republicans, you, you, you have this you no individual fits entirely within a single political party and right. that's one thing i you know that that when i'm i'm doing presentations like this th this is this is completely nonpartisan yeah, and that's one of the things you'll you'll find about me is that the while i while i am a republican i i understand the way the process works and mm -hmm. in texas unlike the federal government you have to have, in almost all cases, you almost always have to have folks from the other side that are helping you, because it is so much easier to kill a, a piece of legislation than it is to pass it. Um, yes. so, uh, what, what I want folks to understand is the way, te you know, Texas has been a Republican state since about 19, uh, or 
I guess it's 2000 is when is when it flipped. So for the past 20 years or so, it's been Republican. Before that, it was Democrat. And it, it's, and it ebbs and flows. And it, it, you'll have, uh, I, I remember being asked in 2011, after I was elected, I was asked by a, uh, uh, a reporter from the Texas, I wouldn't call him a reporter, but uh, he was one of the owners of the Texas Tribune, uh, Evan Smith. I was in a in a panel discussion and he asked me, you know, what do Republicans have to be concerned about now that you have a supermajority in the House and the Senate? And I made the statement that we have to be careful of overreach. And he asked a follow-up question. He said, can you give an example of overreach? And at the time I couldn't. Uh, but looking back over the past uh, five or six years where uh, you know, the Republicans have um, uh, have gotten into their own internal squabbles. Uh, there was some overreach on each side, and it's just it's just interesting to watch how that's happened. And we're seeing it now, even amongst even on the Democratic side, uh, you're seeing this this war on the Democratic side between the 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 more uh, the more liberal folks of that uh, were with uh, 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 oh oh good heavens Bernie Sanders Bernie Sanders, Bernie, the yeah. Sanders followers and uh, and Biden followers I mean you see you you can see the disagreement even there on the Republican side you had Tea Parties versus moderates I mean you you had the same conflict and so I it's interesting to 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 say, well, you have fringes on both sides. And those fringes, mm -hmm. what tends to happen uh, when, the, the, when the political um, sausage is being made and it, those political fringes tend to be pushed further and further out. And so you, you have, now, does that happen all the time? No, but you almost always have, at least in the state of Texas, a bipartisan group that comes up with legislation that um, it may not be, may not make everyone happy, but by and large is good for the state. And that's why the process is set up to make sure you can kill legislation faster than you can actually pass it. Because quickly passed legislation typically is poorly passed legislation. So right. that's where the state, the, the, how the state kind of works. Well, and, and I, I have a little bit of experience with this with you personally, because I think it was a couple years ago, I, or last year, maybe I called you and I said, there's this thing going on with some type of it was reporting of minors um, deaths in the news. And mm -hmm. it was, I said, you know, there's this thing, there's this issue. And you said, I think this is a great, this is a great thing that we need to, you know, we should, we should push and this is something that it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican, this is something you're going to care about because this involves children, right? right? This is, and so, but I remember you kind of let me in a little bit and you're like, well, we need to find two Republicans and two Democrats that can both be equal because this is a bill that needs to go through that way. I got a little bit of a glimpse of that in terms of like, you know, kind of how the process goes. And then you have to have somebody that presents it. And then you have to have, some, and so there has to be the, that process. And, um, I wouldn't have even have thought about it being, um, it, having to be like that, but then immediately that's exactly how it has to be. If it's going to pass, you know what I mean? It has to be the, so. the, 
the old the old phrase two things you don't want to see being made are sausage and legislation uh, I've seen legislation be made and it is absolutely true because I have seen uh, I have seen good legislation uh, die because mm. of the author of the bill mm. uh, I have seen uh, bad legislation pass because of the author of the bill I've seen how um, the uh, uh, some of the pettiness that you would see in uh, grade school politics can absolutely come into play. Uh -huh. I have seen how, uh, and I've seen it at the state level, I've seen it uh, in local levels, uh, I've seen it at the county level. Um, uh, you kind of have this, uh, uh, you saw about a month or so ago, this push and pull between the governor of the state of Texas and the county judge here in Dallas, where uh, you even had the mayor uh, of Dallas siding in some cases with the governor and some cases with the county judge. Mm -hmm. and so there's all this, there's a lot of push pull. There's a lot of, uh, you hear the, the phraseology backroom deals. They're not backroom deals. They're typically made in a conference room sitting around a table with a bunch of staff and a bunch of legislators trying to hammer out legislation. And if you mm. saw all the, uh, the ugliness that goes on, uh, it would cause some folks to, to lose faith in the system. As somebody who's been there, it's just like on, on your deal, uh, mm -hmm. if I were still there, what we, what we would have done, I know exactly who I would have gone to in, in those cases. Mm -hmm. And that's why experience does matter. And mm -hmm. you, you figure out real quick when you're in Austin, you're one of only 150 people and it takes 76 people to pass a bill. And you got the first thing you got to do is you got to get it out of committee. And that's sometimes not the easiest thing in the world. And then once you get it through the, you, you get your votes on the house floor, you got to get it through the Senate. I'll never forget. We got a house bill done uh, year, uh, my first year that would, that would have gotten rid of the fitness grant. I don't know if you know what the fitness gram is, but I guarantee you that any uh, any high schooler, middle schooler, or elementary school from fifth grade on uh, knows what that is. Mm. And it is a, it's basically a test that everybody has to take and they end up taking it in front of everybody. They got to do push-ups, sit-ups, and they got to be able mm -hmm. to. And so when you have, uh, when you have, you know, overweight kids or you have kids that are uh, very, uh, very slight, maybe not very healthy, you know, how many chin-ups, and they're, they're having to do this in front of their peers, you, we were able to get, we were able to pass that. I did it, yes. Okay. Okay. We yeah. were able to, but we were able to say, to get it removed in the House. We took it over to the Senate, and we had a certain senator that killed it better than a doornail. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we passed it unanimously off the House floor, and we actually did it two different times. We did it uh, once uh, in 11. We did it again in 2014, I believe. And when we did it in 2014, that's actually when Roger Staubach actually wrote a letter to the chairman of calendars of just about how bad my bill was. And the chair of calendars came over to me and he says, you know, it's not often that I get a Hall of Fame quarterback saying just how bad somebody's legislation is. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and the thing about it is, 
the thing about it is you've got to understand who was being hit by that. Mm-hmm. There is a very, and I, I'm not going to put names in, there's a very famous group out of Dallas that is tied in with all the all the schools that they have the only software that will run that, that will run that program. They are the only data collection where they're using our kids as guinea pigs for free, get collecting mountains of data, and then selling software to uh, to uh, uh, community you know to school districts, and then utilizing the data to sell books. So somebody was making a bunch of money off of that. When somebody's making a bunch of money and you're passing something that's going to, to, to cut that off, now what? What are they going right. to do? They're going to hire a lobbyist. And that lobbyist mm-hmm. is going to go over to say, hey, you know, uh, Senator so-and-so, um, he really, really uh, wants to make sure you're taken care of, and this is why this bill is a bad bill. And one of the things in the text in the in the text legislature, you cannot accept campaign funds during session, 30 days before, 30 days after. You cannot accept yeah. campaign funds. That's to to keep you from being bought while legislation's being being worked. That's the the theory behind it. Mm-hmm. So the you know in this particular case the the that senator we couldn't even get it heard in committee and mm. i'll never i'll never forget this individual walks into my capital office and he and he he stands I, I stand up shake his hand i have no idea who he is he's there with his lobbyist and he pulls he, he takes a ring off his finger and he tosses it on my desk and he says you know what that is I said, it's a ring. He goes, that's a Super Bowl ring is what that is. And uh, uh, if you're looking back on that moment, I should have said, well, anything that you leave on my desk is mine. Are you giving that to me? Is that the, uh, <laughs> but uh, it was, and he was not a player. He was a mm-hmm. physician uh, for the Cowboys through the 70s and, and early 80s that, uh, you know, he has, you know, a, uh, we call them vendor bills. He has a vendor contract with the state of Texas <laughs> and with all these school districts. And, uh, and I'm not cast. This was just a single example because I could give you right. hundreds of them that are this way where somebody has figured out a data set, a, 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 a something that folks you know that need or want, and they set it up to where they basically become a single provider. And then once they become that single provider, they're going to try and protect it legislatively any way that they can. And you'll right. see that whether it's uh, uh, an individual company providing computer services or textbooks, um, publishing, um, copying contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just there's there's any number, and there's nothing whatsoever illegal about it. Nothing whatsoever. It's part of the process. Now right. that does not fit into a, I'm just a bill, a bill here on Capitol Hill. Right. That's, <laughs> it, it that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so for those people that don't know, how many representatives do we have and how many senators do we have in the yep. state of Texas? The state of Texas has 150 state representatives. 
Each one represents somewhere between 185,000 and 205,000 people. Uh, you have uh, 31 state senators and they represent roughly a million, between a million and a million one uh, across, the, across the state. Uh, every 10 years, that's why the census, anyone that's watching this, if you've not filled out your census data, you yes. need to fill out your census data. And uh, this, again, this is not a Republican thing, a Democrat thing. And I will tell you, if, if, you're, if you're undocumented and you're watching this, you still need to fill out the census data because the, the data that, that's how apportionment is done. Now apportionment normally folks think of as uh, just redistricting, that it's a portion basically you know, on population. But that apportion, that that, uh, that uh, apportionment deals with everything from federal highway funds coming back from the government that are our tax dollars going in to uh, Medicaid dollars that flow down uh, 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 back from the feds to any mm -hmm. number of federal programs. And so make sure you uh, uh, you fill you fill that out. It takes about ten yeah. minutes to do it online. Um, I happen to get the long form, which they ask all <laughs> other kinds of stuff. And like, uh, so if you get it, just fill it out. So, so okay, the representatives that are in the state of Texas, mm -hmm. are those the same representatives that are in that? The, DC. Uh, yes. So they are yes, not. they're not. They're not. So when you get nominated or when you get elected as the Texas, as a Texas representative for mm -hmm. Texas, you are not going to Washington. Nope. That those, is not what your Congress. job is. Those are Congress. Those are Congress. And Texas has 36, I believe, 36 congressmen uh, uh, as part of our, uh, I believe that's the number. Uh, there are 435 congressman mm -hmm. in in the uh, uh around the country uh florida has the most uh new york has second most and we have third most florida has fourth most so that's probably going to change that's why again a portion that's why the census is so important because we could be picking up as many as three uh congressional seats wow. uh which means you know, when you have a the larger your delegation is whether again whether it's republican or democrat going to to uh, DC, the the stronger you are in terms of uh, when you're fighting for military base closures, uh, any sort of federal uh, 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 facility, right. um, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, right. New York, uh, New York is going to be losing, uh, and for the first time, it looks like California will actually be losing. Uh, uh, federal uh, representatives because of in in a lot of there a lot why are they moving to Texas? They're moving to Texas because we have a great economy. Even during this mm -hmm. COVID stuff, we've survived it a lot better. You know, we're faring a lot better than a lot of other areas. Even with that, you know, we also have right now this uh, you know, oil and gas. Uh, the oil and gas markets are in a complete turmoil. Yeah. Uh, as demand globally has fallen, and that really and that impacts everything here in the state of Texas. The rainy right. day fund that uh, is funded by oil and gas severance taxes 
transportation. We moved a, a, a large portion of that over to transportation to help fund roads in Texas so that we don't have to continue that everything we build is not a, 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 a toll road. Mm -hmm. uh, to, I mean, I could go, I could go on and you, you, I, I, I'll take it wherever you want, want to take it, but there's 435 uh, uh, federal congressmen and there's 150 state representative of Texas. We still have to, you know, we can't, at the state level, we can pass resolutions encouraging Congress to do things. Uh, they typically, they look at resolutions and they go, oh, thank you very much. Uh, the toilet paper's over there in the corner. Uh, that's just what they do. Uh, most resolutions are that way. Uh, when a when a governmental entity does a resolution asking the other side of government to do something, right? Uh, they normally look at it and go, "Thank you for playing," and that's you know, I hope you feel hope you feel better. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said toilet paper because I know you were not specifically. That's exactly the conversation that actually spurred me to want you want to talk to you okay. because it was the question about it was it was the toilet paper they they limited the amount but it, they limited it through uh, a county judge and then so my question was like where does the county fit in because where does the county fit in where's the city fit in and so what you're describing right. is like when it comes to being represented in the actual government of the state of texas all of the state of texas is drawn out in districts right yeah. So for y'all's perspective, it really doesn't matter what city you're in. I mean, it does, but it like does. it's a drawn boundary. All right, right? here we go. Right, here we go. I'll give you, I'll give you the, I'll give you the 10,000 foot level. There are 254 counties in the state of Texas. Right. Each, each county under the, and, and counties exist as a function of state government. State government has created counties to drive down, uh, uh, rules and regulations. So that's, they created counties, the county judge, uh, so in Dallas County, county judge is Clay Jenkins. Uh, Clay, as a, you know, he is given certain authority under the Texas code as the county judge. Now you get into rural counties, the county judge is the most powerful person in the county. They, mm -hmm. they, they do everything from uh, who gets the, you know, which subdivisions get roads, which county road, which farm to markets get, you know, get paved, which uh, um, dirt roads get, uh, get grading. The county judge is king of their castle. And you, when you get into um, metropolitan areas, Metropolitan areas work a little bit differently as most of them have county commissioners that work with the county judge. You know, here in Dallas County, we have four county commissioners, uh, four commissioners districts uh, across the, 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 uh, the county along with county judge. So not and all counties have county commissioners? Not all counties have county commissioners. Okay. You have, because you have some counties in West Texas that have, you know, 800 people. Right. I mean, it's just so the county judge does everything and there are certain requirements within within the code that say you know once it, it passes a certain amount they have to have uh commissioners that kind of stuff so to let's get to the toilet paper issue or to the i would uh, also say that's why governor order. abbott's 
That's why when his, that's why it's important when you hear things that Governor Abbott says, that's why he puts stipulations about numbers of people in certain places. That's because Texas correct. can be so varied that well, it's, it's different. It's, it's a huge state. It's a huge right. state. And for those that don't know, if you know, I'm sitting here in Grand Prairie, if I were going to drive to Los Angeles, El Paso's halfway. I mean, that's how, I mean, it is further to drive from Houston to El Paso than it is El Paso to LA. Uh, so it's a huge state. So it, it, it one size truly does not fit all. But the, the county judges draw their power and their authority uh, to make those, from, it's called Section 418 of the Texas Government Code. The Texas Government Code is what is, is the, is the, are the laws that, that say this is how county, counties are operating. Uh, in 2013, there was a change made that would allow a county judge to um, uh, uh, regulate, quote, ingress and egress into a disaster area, okay? So it was set up in uh, 2013, and it was done because you had people that refused to leave disaster areas after hurricanes and so that a, a, a county judge could say, hey, look, we're going to evacuate you whether you, you want to or not kind of thing. Well, no one ever contemplated that you would have a statewide state of emergency that was set, that was, one, you had a federal disaster declaration, which allows states to draw down federal funds. You then had the governor say the entire state is a disaster area at which point there came this conflict. And you saw some of that fairly early mm -hmm. on between what the governor said and what the county judge would say. Um, you would see the governor issue a, you know, here's what you're gonna do. And then the county judge would one up it. And then it would go here and, and, it, was, and it wasn't really a race so much at, at to see who had the authority to do what each one of those individuals were trying to do what they thought was best for the for their county and for the state. That's, that's really what they were trying to do. And so when you had this run on toilet paper, and you had, you know, who has the authority to say, uh, if Jenna Pecor wants to go in and buy, you know, 10, you know, packages of 24 count, could you do that? Well, you could. So if Clay Jenkins says, no, we're going to limit it to two, the only re redress that you have is to say, uh, Judge Jenkins, you don't have the authority to tell me that. We're going to court. And mm -hmm. that, that and, and you see this right now with the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, oh, uh, the hairdresser over in uh, the, the salon over in Dallas. Salon well, even a real estate agent McKinney sued the mayor or sued somebody because he's like, I, you know, I don't know if you heard about that one. No, I didn't. I didn't. So a mayor sued the mayor? He sued the mayor because McKinney, because of the shelter in place orders, this was in the beginning, he said it was unconstitutional. And so like the day after he decided to sue him and that did not go well for the um, real estate agent at the time. But like, what? that's what he did is he said, I'm going to sue you. Um, but, but it was the mayor. That, that, because of the mayor, the mayor, because uh, at, at the time, uh, Collin County, the county judge, 
uh, had basically said, you know, had, they were not nearly as restrictive as what Dallas had been. So right. McKinney, if I recall correctly, they passed a city ordinance, which, which they're allowed to do that restricted, that made it much more restrictive than what uh, the county was doing. And so I don't know whatever happened there. The realtor probably, one, the county, the, 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 the city has a lot more money, much bigger lawyers, and can just basically bankrupt an individual realtor or individual business owner. And so that's what you're seeing in this, in this Salon Alamode deal is that she's now, the, the old adage, you can't fight city hall. She's now, bring, it's bringing down the, the, the full force and effect of code enforcement that's fining her every day that she's open. They've, they've issued her citations. And my guess is that she is, she will fight back because the only redress that you have against poor legislation or poorly uh, uh, thought out executive orders is right. to go to the courts and let the courts say whether you actually did have or did not have the authority to, to, to restrict someone's purchase of toilet paper someone's uh ability to open their business uh and and it will ultimately be the courts I, I will tell you that i'm in the title insurance business we're trying to close you know I, I i'm an underwriter we're trying to close stuff every day of the week while people you know some people will come into the office they're still you know they're still okay with it others they don't want to come into the office so you've got you, you've got uh what are called remote online notary statutes Mm -hmm. Well, those notary statutes mean something. They're, they're part of the, the government code. Well, you, you have all over the country, you have uh, governors, you have, uh, in one case, you actually have the governor and the Supreme Court that's basically suspended those sections of the, of the government code. Under, mm. and, and my question is, under what authority can you just suspend the law? How do you think? And, that, I, I'm I don't a, know. I'm really, really curious how you think this is going to affect government in terms of how it runs because of this COVID thing. Do you feel uh -huh. like this has brought out a lot? holes in places that we didn't know existed before it's not it, it, it absolutely it's brought up situations that no one has ever contemplated and right. that's one of the things you know, to tie this back to legislation you can pass what you think is a great piece of legislation and then come back a year later and go omg we never thought mm -hmm. about that and that's part of what that section 418 i was talking about earlier no one ever contemplated the entire state of Texas being under a disaster declaration and basically giving uh, county judges the governor carte blanche to do what they want. Well, at what point do you, does a, uh, let, let's take an egregious example. Uh, that, that, you know, uh, what I try to do anytime I'm making an argument is I try mm -hmm. and go all the way to the extreme to show how ridiculous right. the argument is. If the governor said, um, 
a capital offense, a, a uh, you know, capital murder, we're going to suspend the uh, uh, prosecution of capital murderers under the time, under this COVID deal, un under, under this disaster mm -hmm. declaration. Right. Does he have the authority to do that? That's, that's question number one. And so then let's carry it to something as minute as, well, I'm going to regulate, you know, you can only buy two rolls of two packages of toilet paper. Two completely extremes. This one sounds, okay, fine. This one, of course not. And like, so where is it in that, you know, where is it on that spectrum? Do they actually have the authority? And that's where the, that's, that's the beauty of the United States justice system and the and the the the, the legal system in uh, in this country, you know, we all have our own individual. You know, states have their own individual you know, laws pertaining to you know various you know whether it be social issues, criminal issues, of uh, of uh, judicial issues. They they they've got all that, but by and large, there is always an opportunity for a uh, salon a la mode to take their case to court. In her case, I'm sure she has a uh, constitutional type counsel banging her door down. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, uh, you've got, and I will tell you, you've got John Wiley Price, who is a commissioner who is pushing back extremely hard against the, the uh, county judge. Uh, he had a he had a bandana on it earlier today at, at commissioner's court of uh, he wants barbers open and he he was very vocal a couple of weeks ago. He says, Look, I got five thousand people who cut hair right. in his district. He goes, you can get your you can get your dog groomed, but I got five thousand people who can't work and can't get the haircut. I literally said that yesterday. Someone was asking for a mobile groomer, and I'm like, "What is going on?" <laughs> yes. And, and what? And what is? In, in an all sincerity, what is the difference between Walmart and Home Depot, or let's say Walmart and J.C. Penney or Kohl's? Right. Other than Walmart sells food. Right. Okay. But you, but you go in and you, you, people aren't just buying food. They're buying everything. Yes. And you're trying to make these decisions in a day or in hours in the middle of all this. And this is another question that I had kind of along the same lines of the judges. And if this is a question I had back in the election and I've, having gone through, you know, the divorce process and been in court for that, I was always curious, why is, talking about partisanship, why are judges elected on a partisan platform? That is a really, really good question because there is a, uh, there is, there has been a move uh, that, a move is not the right word, there has been a great deal of discussion around that because you can have some very, very well qualified judges that are really good jurists on both, I don't care which side of the aisle you're on as it pertains to this, that are just swept out in a, uh, you, you, if you have a, a, a very um, 
unpopular president on one side, it'll sweep out people down ballot and vice versa. It, it, and it does it all over the country. And the answer to your question is that's the way it is set up under the law. Here in Texas, that's the way it's set up. It, it spells out in the, the judicial, uh, the, the, the section of the code that deals with judici judiciary that they're to be elected and they, they're to be elected at certain number, you know, certain number of years, they serve a certain number of terms. And so the, the, like the court of criminal appeals only, you know, so that the, so the whole court doesn't turn over at once. They have elections that run, you know, every three, four years that they're up, uh, just like city council, you know, city council is only, you, know, you have two people up or three people up at any given time so that the whole court doesn't completely turn over. Uh, but you, you can have, uh, there, there has been a lot of discussion around how do you move the judicial elections to be uh, nonpartisan or to be at least um, like you would you know, uh, uh, city council or school board where you know there there's no party affiliation. Um, right. Yes, because like, and I, I'm not just talking about county judges. Like for people that are listening, I mean. Family court judges oh, right. are Democrat and Republican, which has nothing to do with being able to decide a family issue. But like, so they're all elected like that. And the other, we were talking earlier about like lobbyists and stuff. There, there are certain ways that, I mean, lawyers can still contribute to those elections Ooh, for judges. The, the, that's a, that's so a that's whole. That's a whole different discussion. Whole different thing. But my question was always, the first question really was, I wonder when they were setting up the Constitution of Texas, why that was even something that was even considered. When you're a judge, you're supposed to be impartial. So I was just curious. Constitution, Constitution different from the code. Thank you for saying that. Yes. Constitution different than the code. Uh, the Texas Constitution is a really weird animal. Uh, yes. Whereas the, the uh, man, I don't remember how many amendments we've got, 1,200, 1,500 amendments to our Constitution in Texas. Uh, we passed one a couple of years ago that says, and, and, and what has to happen, and, and so what has to happen in a constitutional amendment for Texas is it has to pass, the amendment has to pass by two-thirds majority in the House and the Senate and then be signed by the governor and then approved at, a, at, at an election, uh, in a, uh, a general election. So when it's put forward, the, the last one we did was a prohibition against a state income tax that said yeah. there will not be a state income tax. So you pass a bill that says that, and then you put it on the, the ballot, and it's voted on by the, by the people of the state of Texas. So that passed by like 80%. Uh, you know, let's take one here locally. There's a lot of folks that would like to have gambling, that would like to have mm -hmm. you know, out of the track. Uh, it would take a constitutional amendment to allow any additional gaming at the, uh, you know, at the track or in Texas. And uh, there are legislators who do not want to let that happen because they're either philosophically opposed, they've got other, re whatever. And mm -hmm. so Again, to you to reach that two-thirds threshold on the you know, in the house, it's a it, it's the right way to do it. That way, you don't have one party that just crams legislation down 
uh, on, you know, on uh, say, arguably half the state of Texas that would disagree with it, regardless, regardless of which side you're, so they, there are safeguards that are tried to be built into it. But back to your judges, the, you, there are, man, I don't know, the, the judges you're talking about, not just the family courts, but your criminal courts, your, mm -hmm. uh, your uh, courts of appeal, I mean, there are hundreds of judges that you vote mm -hmm. on and nobody knows a thing about them. I will, I will tell you, I'm the chair of a major party here in, in, in Dallas County, and I could not tell you uh, 10 of the elected judges here in, in Dallas County. And it's not because we don't have any, knock on wood, uh, you know, I've not been, you know, I've not had to go to court as a, as either a plaintiff or a defendant, uh, whether you know, it could be in a family court, whether it's plaintiff or defendant, and we have an adversarial uh, uh, way our courts work, and I just, I hope I never do, but the, the point is that it was me knocking on the wood over here, sorry, that's, my wife just went to answer the door. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> because the dog's whining at the door. It's like, no, it was me knocking on wood. Sorry. Uh, but uh, it, it, there will continue to be discussions around the partisan nature of judges because you, and, and when you have lawyers that have to go practice in front of those courts and those lawyers who you might otherwise run for office imagine if you're a lawyer and you run against a sitting judge and you lose when you the next time you come into court representing a client is there going to be judicial bias because you brought up something they did in the third grade or something they did back in you know mm -hmm. and, and it is a very very real issue that lawyers face is you know judicial retribution and it's uh it's not something that really gets talked about but it's also one reason why if you have a county that is dominated by one party or the other that you don't have a lot of people running from the other side who are going to wind up practicing in front of those those judges it's just it's it's bad for business it's bad what, what, if, I, what if i as the plaintiff or the defendant was running against that judge what if I, you know what I mean? Uh, yes, I do. I do. That's a whole, that, I could go down that rabbit hole for a while because yeah. like that's something that I've, I've learned a lot about over just being in a divorce process. But like um, one question I did have, because you were talking about kind of the constitution and then um, that the convoluted nature of some of those amendments and all that stuff. Is do you feel like the reason for that is because Texas was its own nation at one point? Like, are there remnants no, from that? Not really. That's it, no. it's, it's really not. It's it's really more uh, when when it was originally set up. You think about, all right, we're we're doing it this way, and we want to make sure that we let the public vote as much as possible on these issues that we find that are critically important to the state. Uh, taxes, schools, um, uh, uh, transportation. Uh, any of those types of major issues, the you know, going back in history of making sure that the that the general public had the capability, the ability to vote uh, when needed, and you you still see you still have that at a at, at the federal level as well, 
and we've got, you know, uh, it's just the amendments to the Constitution of the United States, uh, the, the bar to pass those is incredibly high. And you, you've got to have two-thirds in the House, two-thirds in the Senate at a federal level, and you can't get, right now, you can't get five people to cross party lines right now in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. It is a completely dysfunctional system. And that's one of the things that we in Texas have been really good about is maintaining the integrity of the system. And by that, I mean, when you have in the Texas House, uh, at one time we had uh, two thirds Republicans, one third Democrat. So you had this two thirds, one third. And we had two thirds and one third of committee chairs. We, even though the, the Republicans were in solid control of the House, you still had one third of the committee chairs that were Democrats. You don't see that at a federal level. If you get a one person majority at the federal level, uh, you, right now you've got Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker of the House. If she has a one vote majority, every one of her House chair, uh, chairs will be Democrats. If it, were, mm -hmm. if, if it were flipped and the Republicans took over, you would have a Republican Speaker of the House and every single uh, committee uh, head would be a Republican. That's just the way they do it in DC. And it's, and it's, dis, it's truly, you know, it's gotten to be dysfunctional because the R's and D's can't work together up there. Because right. if, they, if, if they do, they're given this, this, uh, um, this moniker of, uh, they can't come back two, you know, two years and get reelected because they were either too moderate, they were too squishy, they were too, uh, you know, they, they cooperated with the other side. They cooperated with the enemy, their public enemy number. You, and you, you get, and it's both sides that do it. It's, this is, it's just political. Here in Texas, you don't have that nearly as much because one, we're only in, we were only in session uh, about five months every two years, uh, which is plenty. You don't need more than that. Some people say, why don't we, you know, we're a state, we run the 10th largest economy in the world, and uh, uh, why don't we meet year round? Uh, New York and California and Illinois all meet year round, and I don't, uh, the, the the legislative systems that they have and the over the 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 legislative overreach it just gives them a lot more time to meddle in people's private business mm -hmm. and I, 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 texas has been doing just fine florida does just fine with the uh the the way they meet and again our budget uh by last year was a hundred and uh, 149 billion dollars is that what it was no uh god what was it can't remember what the number is anymore the the, the it's, i was shocked i couldn't believe that texas has that much of an economy compared to like other nations like i i just i mean i knew it did but not as not as high as it was tenth largest in the world tenth largest in the world and our number one trading partner by the way is mexico if anybody ever knew that uh number one trading partner by far and away is mexico uh, almost all of your uh, parts of any car come out of factories in Mexico that come up the supply chain on 35. Uh, I was on International Trade Committee, and that is a uh, it's a it is a an incredible uh, trading partner that that we have there. Um, wow! But anyway, I, I think man, I, it's going to drive me nuts. I'm going to have to look up we, what our budget was uh, because I want to say we went from 79 billion to about 152 billion. Uh, in about 10 years. 
uh, is how much, our, how much we have increased spending. And, and, and it's really, the, the way spending's done in Texas, it's really pretty simple. The comptroller says uh, before session, this is how much money you're gonna have over the next two years based on our projections. And if we hit our, which are normally really good about projections, unless you have something like this COVID stuff, you know, that just completely wreck everything. They're normally pretty right. good about it. And so you base your budget on that and you, you either spend it or give it back. And you can only give it back in forms of tax decreases or you spend it on you know, whatever you, on everything we spend it on from public education, public education and health and human services account for 85% of the Texas budget. Everything else, wow. it, you know, 15% runs everything else, the judiciary, the legislative branches, transportation, uh, parks and wildlife, uh, everything else, 15%. So it's, it's literally health and human services and public education. And it used to be that public education was 40, right at 44% of the Texas budget with, uh, uh, oh, it was actually 52% at one point in time with uh, uh, health and human services around 30%. But last year or the last budget cycle was the first cycle where health and human services actually surpassed public education in uh, terms of spending for the state. It's a huge, wow. huge number. Well, I know that we only have a couple more minutes and there's one other question I wanted to ask you. Um, so we were kind of talking about, um, me and Cole, I talked to Cole Humphreys the other day and we were kind of talking about social media um, for elected officials right now. And I know uh -huh. that like, or Ron is our mayor is like always on Facebook because he's like the most accessible mayor. Like he's just amazing about it. Uh -huh. Well, I was, I was on Governor Abbott's uh, thing today and they were taught and, and George Strait was supposed to be on there reading a book. And I was like, well, this is awesome. I'm so excited. And then down below, it's just all these comments about opening the state and doing this and doing that. Yeah. So I was talking about, you know, as an elected official in something like this, how much does does social, because you want to be able to have accessibility to uh -huh. the people that you're, you know, but, yep. but how much does that affect your mental health as an elected official when you're seeing all that kind of stuff? I will tell you that it varies mm. uh, because uh, I never once in almost 10 years of public service, I've never blocked anyone. I've never, I, I will, I, I take that back. I was with you. I think I blocked eight or nine people and it was because they were, uh, they were, uh, um, they were scam deals that, mm -hmm. and, uh, but, like not even a real profile. Not, not even a real profile. Yeah. Uh, and, but I always, I mean, I had a couple of folks that just ripped me up one side down the other. Uh, one of them was over you know, the, the way that you know, the state of Texas handles its uh, kids, uh, its at-risk kids. He had an at-risk kid and the way this time, I mean, he would rip me up on social media. He would call me at 9 30, 10 o'clock. He would text me. He would text me on my, my cell phone. And really? Would, oh yeah. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Wow. Um, but as a, as an elected, um, I, I found that so long as I was respectful to the folks that were there, even the, and there would be protagonists there, you know, don't feed the trolls. I, I tell anybody that, you know, the, don't feed the trolls. Uh, they thrive on it. 
they think they have a lot more power than they actually do. Um, Mm -hmm. They like to threaten. They like to bully. They like to, uh, they like to do stuff like that. And and it got to the point for me, it's like, whatever, um, you know, uh, I, I know that in my background, when we, when we had it done, the, and we spent quite a bit of money early on when you're, when you're running at a state level, they want to know, uh, right. yeah, I came back and he goes, I've been doing this for 40 years. He goes, you're a boy scout. I said, yeah, there's nothing there. I've been married to the same woman for my entire life. No bankruptcies, no, no extra kids running around anywhere, <laughs> you know, none of that. And, uh, and so, uh, anybody who, who comes up and threatens me with that stuff is like, let's go. I don't care. Uh, but it's, you know, social media is something you should use to your advantage. Don't right. feed the, you know, I would, you know, I wouldn't feed the trolls and, uh, unless we were doing it, there was the, a buddy of mine, we had a picture of troll dolls and <laughs> we would, and when we, we would see it, we'd put trolling, 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 you know, just as we know what you're doing. It's, it's fine. All that did was serve them. If they, it would make them mad. They would post something else. And so we'd go out, we would, you know, almost get in meme wars of, you know, so it got to the point you know, for me. Uh, and I was always accessible. I mean, you, you, yeah. you can find me on Facebook, Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Rodney Anderson. At Rodney. I, mean, <laughs> you know, I will say the busiest day that I had on Twitter was when the, uh, the, the, uh, running back for uh, Oklahoma was accused uh-huh. of uh, rape and all of a sudden at Rodney Anderson is blowing up. I'm like, not oh. me. This is not me. This is not me. Not me. Not me. This, that's the running back. And I, I had a picture. I had my picture. I said, this is me. That's I'm not, I'm not the running back from Oklahoma. That, that's not me. And, uh, uh, and so I would try and have, you know, you know that was really the only, really, really weird social media day was when that mm-hmm. happened because it's blowing up. And, uh, but you know, I would, any, any local official that's watching, man, is don't feed the trolls. Uh, they, the, any, tro- you know, the trolls that I had, I knew Timothy had a, you know, he had an agenda. He knew you know, it was what he was trying to do. And all I did was feed into it. If I, if I just let him roll, it's, and then you'd have, you know, th- there would be other people that would start to respond. And when you start digging, those other people are not real either. And so. Yeah. I and I would imagine, you know, more local that you are when you know what the people are saying, like, especially in something like this, where it's like, you cannot do the right thing for everybody. There's just yeah. no way. And so just to see the back and forth and this and that, and like, especially from people, you know, I would imagine would start to get to even the strongest it does. people. It does. I mean, you know, and, and that's where, you, that's where you have to, in your responses, it has to be, you know, I, I, I took a lot of flack uh, from this. I've, I've got a lot of friends on the other side of the, of the political aisle. I do. Mm-hmm. And I took a lot of flack for uh, some socially conservative votes that I took. And I'll never forget one that, I mean, I took a, I, it was a vote on, uh, we were trying to protect the uh, <clears throat> Catholic charities, uh, Lutheran charities, and uh, Baptist charities from prosecution 
relative to uh, adoption. Mm. And you know, I've got some folks on the on the other side that are they're very good friends of mine, and and it not only I mean, not only were they mad, but it hurt because you know why did you vote mm-hmm. that way? And when I sat down with them and explained, this is why, I got this. The it was it was almost cathartic because one of the guys goes, you know, there were two Democrats that voted with you guys on that. And when I asked them that question, they gave me an absolute BS answer. Mm, And he said, while I don't agree with what he said, what you said actually makes sense. And so any, any time that I voted for something, and I think any time, whether it be Ron, you mentioned Ron or Cole or, Mm -hmm. you know, any elected official, when they vote, they've got a reason for the way they voted. And yeah. if, and it may not be something that I, I agree with. Uh, Lord knows there have been plenty of things I've disagreed with, you know, uh, from uh, various elected bodies. But if, they, if they'll stand tall and just say, hey, this is why I did it, it's not because I, you know, for the reasons you think. Right. If they, if they don't accept that, that, that uh, explanation, you know, you got to move on. And that's what you yeah. have to do. Don't feed the troll. Yeah. No. And I think that I was, I was actually saying the other day, I was like, you know, it's when you, when you do have elected officials that are on social media and are willing to talk to you and have those discussions, take it as a blessing because Absolutely. not all of them are doing that. And so like, that's when I can go back and go, Hey, Rodney, cause you and I know each other outside of social media. It's not like that's how we met or anything, but like, um, but I can go, Hey, can you be on a podcast and explain this to people or Hey, Mayor Jensen, can you like maybe discuss this with me? Because the more that respectful, when you have that back and forth, at least you have the ability to, to have those discussions. And so I've done that with, I don't I've done that with, uh, with other podcasters from the other side of the aisle. I mean, I, I right. had one, I had one that we did down in, uh, in Fair Park. Uh, was a very hostile, a very hostile audience mm. for some. I think I, I was the only Republican in the room, and by the time mm. I left, they you, you could you could once they asked questions, and I would have we were just having a conversation, and I didn't get defensive when they asked a very politically loaded question. Right. Um, that's where you know the, I am fortunate enough to have been through enough media training to to understand there are ways to answer questions that 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 they they don't deflect it but they do soften the 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 the, the response and, and right. run into you, there are times where you know, I'll say you know look you know there are going to be a couple of items where we just you know we we're not going to agree politically we know that. Right. So why do we want, let's, let's not go, let's try and find common ground on stuff that we do agree on. And again, I've been on with, uh, with several folks from other side and um, uh, I, I've never had any, I've knock on wood, I've only had one media person that I actually really got sideways with. And mm. it was a, uh, they screwed up. I, I made them, my campaign made a mistake. We owned up to it. And then they kept pounding it, pounding it, and pounding it on behalf of the, of the other side. And I finally told the editor at the Dallas Morning News, I said, I have been a completely open book with, with folks. 
I will never answer another question from this reporter again, period. End of discussion. Mm. He now writes, I think he writes for the Washington Post. Wow. That's, that, that's, the on, that's the only reporter I have ever had any issues with. And again, even locally, uh, you can tend to diffuse it if, uh, if the other side is reading. When the other side gets to where they're completely unreasonable, you just go, whatever, not going to feed the trolls. Yeah. They got, they're going to go do whatever they're going to do. Well, I think that it's really important for people to know, like, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today is because I wanted people to see, like, you all have faces. Our elected officials have faces. And I know that right now you're not an elected official currently, but you have been and you, I don't know if you will be again, but like, um, but y'all have faces and you can talk to, you can create that relationship where you can ask questions. And it's important that we do that. I think that as constituents, especially that we, we educate ourselves by not only just reading things on the internet, but also by trying to talk to people that are actually doing the job Go to and the understanding. Source. Go to the, I would encourage anyone that is read. Go to the source. I will promise you that the the folks on Grand Prairie City Council, from uh, Swafford to Del Bosque to Mr. Lopez to Mr. Uh, Gessner, Mayor Jensen, uh, trying to think, uh, Copeland, mm -hmm. uh, 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 you know, that, uh, Woodridge, Woodridge. Uh, you know, Woldridge, mm -hmm. I, I, I was sitting there talking, I'm still missing one. I'm Cole. still missing one. I, I, I said Cole. Oh, you said Cole. Uh, Georgia. Uh, Georgia. How, how, how yeah. do you forget Georgia? <laughs> Sorry, Georgia, if you're watching, my apologies. I said, uh, my, my apologies. Don't shoot me at Rotary. I, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> but you know, whether you'll go to, you know, they're, they're there for a reason. Uh, school board decide yeah. the same. If you're on school board, you know, whether you're, you're talking to Mr. Brooks or Ms. Lyles or uh, Espinosa or Gloria or uh, Aaron, uh, any of them, uh, they'll, they'll talk to you. Uh, yeah. and, and you can even, you can ask them uh, difficult questions. They'll, they'll talk to you about it. And you, now, you may not like the, the answer they give. And Absolutely. But that's okay. But have the dialogue directly with the elected officials. And that's what a lot of folks forget, is that, hey, we're, we, when I was elected official, we're servants. We are your representatives. And I can't tell you the number of times that legislation arose because somebody had a conversation with me. Yes. Uh, one one of my biggest pieces of legislation that I passed was a uh, uh, a change to the Amber Alert that covered those from 18 to 65 with intellectual disabilities, and it it allowed for that activation after we had a young lady. Her name was Tiffany. That uh, she went missing. Um, they found her about 10 days later. She was dead and. As they were interviewing people around town, they the, over in Mansfield, they found that, you know, there were several people that saw her, but didn't know she was actually missing, and you know she was 31 mm -hmm. years old that had the intellectual capacity of a five-year-old, couldn't mm -hmm. figure out how to find her way home or to ask for help, and when she did, she was looked at as a homeless person, with, uh, and, and just ignored, and so we were able to, we were able to pass that bill. When I got a call from uh, Richard Mills in uh, uh, his group at Mary's house, where my nephew, uh, Sean, uh, would go, it was kind of a, an adult daycare, an adult dayhab, 
and uh, said, hey, you, maybe you could help me. Mm -hmm. that's, how, mm. that's how we passed that. Yeah. Uh, and so when you have a, when you have a, a you know, an idea, don't hesitate to call you. you know, I know in, in my case, don't hesitate to, to call me and, and I can refer you to, to, you call your state rep. If your state rep won't listen to you, give me a call and I'll find one that will. <laughs> I just, I'm telling you, like you are a prime example. I, that's exactly what I did. I just, I, me personally, I can attest to that because when I saw something, I was like, Rodney, I don't know if you can help me, but this is something that I wanted to talk to you about. And again, it was another emotional situation. It was another thing dealing with, it doesn't have to be something that you consider to be this big, huge thing. Sometimes what's big to you, what you think might be big to you, but isn't really big to everybody else, doesn't mean that it's not important. And it's you not, need that's to make exactly. sure that Yeah, so don't just put a shit aside and say, nobody from Texas would care about this because you have no idea how many people would, um, but it has to start with that conversation. Yeah. And I, I think that it's really shocked. important. I was shocked at the fitness gram when we were trying to get rid of the fitness gram. I was stunned by the number of people who came up to me and go, and just, we had this one little girl that came up and testified before committee of the, the, uh, emotional angst it put her through in front of all her peers. I mean, it was, it was gut wrenching. And then to find out I had two fellow legislators whose children, one of them, he had, uh, I, I won't mention his name, but he's got a daughter that, um, got a report back from the company, from this company that said, your daughter is obese. You're a 13 year old girl and you get this and you already have, in her case, she had trouble putting on weight. And for some reason, somebody had a data entry error and she gets called obese the emotional, I mean, it just, that was a legislator's daughter that happened to. And I don't have, I don't have any daughters, but I've got, you know, my, my son, Andrew, there's no secret. My son, Andrew's always been a big kid from the time he was, uh, uh, he was born big and he never stopped. And what happened to him in fifth grade would, should just be freaking criminal. And it's not yeah. that the teacher you know, it's not that the teacher did anything wrong. It's that, you know, they're trying to get these kids in and out and get them, get them through. And the teacher did absolutely nothing wrong with you followed a protocol, but you, how fifth grade kids are, you know, going after the fat kid. And yeah. that was, that was to me when I, it, that's, that's what most legislation starts out as something personal that whether it happened to a legislator or to an individual, the, my hearing aid bill that, that the house bill 490 was probably the best bill I ever passed. And what it does is it mandated that insurance companies co cover hearing aids for kids. Believe it or not, insurance companies were using what was called a cosmetic loophole to not cover hearing aids for kids up to the age of 18. So you would have uh, you'd have a kid that's diagnosed very early on that if they had you know, gotten hearing aids earlier, cochlear implants early on, they'd have been able to stay on grade level, would have been able to avoid all kinds of ARDS, all kinds of expense. 
but that came because I had a, you know, I had a family that came in and said, Hey, we can't afford hearing aids for my daughter, but we still make too much money that she's not covered by Medicaid. What do we do? Right. And we were able to get that passed. Now you talk about the angst. I had the entire insurance industry fighting that bill because it was an insurance mm -hmm. mandate. I had the governor saying, I don't want any mandates coming across my desk. I didn't, I, I picked up a Senate sponsor on the other side of the aisle in order to do it. And it was one of these things that we it were experienced enough and we knew how to work behind the scenes with real life examples. The other thing we were able to do is to able to quantify that it was only going to cost about 20 cents per insurance policy uh, a year is what it was going to cost. Well, and, and I know that a lot of people probably listening right now are probably sitting here going, just getting frustrated because you're <laughs> like, this is just, can, it can be so maddening. But I look at it and I think to myself, I'm glad that we exist in, an, in a type of government where we have that ability to be able to change things. And it might not change tomorrow, but it will change. And there's, you know, so, um, I just, you know, I just want to encourage everybody that's listening. I've always encouraged this, like talk to your elected officials, have a relationship with them. Um, your local city officials, like they want to talk to you and nobody, I don't ever want anybody to think they're just discarded or like they don't don't matter like every so that's the one I've always been a proponent for like our elected officials making sure that you're talking to them uh, making sure you're voting making sure that you're understanding how all this stuff works because that's important it's, it's so very important um so Ronnie I just really appreciate you being on today I, I, I know I took up more more than an hour of your time I, I, I you know it's one of these um, I took up more of you an hour of your time. I was, I know that you're busy and I know that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I could talk to you for all afternoon. So I, <laughs> I, I, but your, but your podcast folks probably go, man, this guy is, is this, we're getting, we're getting a little boring. Uh, just, you know, we're way down in the weeds on this stuff, but. Uh, oh no, I think that's so important. I do. If, if they can take one thing away in all sincerity, it is know your elected officials, whether your school board, your uh, city council members, your state, state reps, your congressman, I'll give you, I'll give you a little dirty little secret about your congressman. If you ever get a hold of your congressman's cell phone number, they will absolutely love it if you call them because once you, once you reach that congressman level, everybody thinks that you're untouchable or that you're inaccessible. Um, really? You, if you have, if you can, if you have a congressman's phone number, call them you'd be surprised really? you would be surprised at how few phone calls that the congress people themselves actually get now their staff get all kinds of calls but oh. if you you know their staff gets all kinds of calls but if you actually get a a congressman and i'll tell you the the fastest way to their heart is to write a is to write a letter kicking it old school now writing a letter that's handwritten and uh, because I can tell you as a, as a legislator, uh, as I was, as I was uh, corresponded with, that's how I corresponded back. You send me an email, you get an email back. You send me a, uh, a, a type letter, you know, that's a form letter. Form letters got very little response. If you sent a personal letter, we gave you a personal response. 
then, it, but if you wrote a letter or something to us, I almost always responded either with a personal telephone call or with a uh, uh, handwritten note coming back. And that's so interesting. The good ones do that. The good ones, and, and that, that's not just me, the good ones will do that. Um, wow. I know we, we would send out uh, letters. Uh, we, want, we wanted uh, feedback of what was important to the district. One year we got about 1,100 of those letters back and we categorized them by what was their most important item. And we let them know. So once we got it back, we responded to let them know that we got it. We'll let them know about anything that happens on that topic. We then at the end of session, we sent them another letter that said, here's what happened during session on that particular topic. And I, I did that because there were some people that were diametrically opposed to what I did and to what I, but I would send back to them and said, this was the topic. This is what was done. This is the way. And one of them even took that letter and put it out on social media, you know, mocking saying, how dare he even respond? Like, Oh my gosh. Well, because it was just, it was one of those, I, you know, I'd say, here's, you know, here's you know, your issue was this, this is what, this is what happened on your specific issue. Just keeping informed. I know we're on the opposite side here, but I thought it's important that I still keep you informed about what happened because I do represent you as well. Please don't hesitate to call if you have any questions. That's, that's the way I did it. And, wow. and I encourage any of the electeds locally or otherwise, make sure that you do that as well. Make sure you stay because you're, you'll have detractors, but make sure you still correspond with them. Well, even, even Emily, like the other day, Emily Lyles, she's on school board. And I, I thought like she, she sent out on Facebook. She's like, I know this is not normally what I would do, but can, can why don't y'all tell me like, how are things going with homeschooling? Tell me your opinion. And she opened up that conversation and mm -hmm. I was like, that's exactly what you should do. Like, of course mm -hmm. we want to have those open conversations and it's up to her how she decides that she, I mean, you know, yeah. um, but it's take advantage of those times. I mean, I, what a cool idea, like it would be for like schools to like students to kind of see how they could get back like correspondence from some of their mm -hmm. elected officials. I, I've been, I would tell you, st student letters, man, I loved them. I, I, I loved them. And, really? Uh, because, it, man, I, 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 man I, I, I could go on all day about this stuff, but we, you know, we had an occasion where uh, I, a few years ago there was a walkout uh, at Dubisky over uh, immigration stuff. Ooh. And they had, the, the teachers had managed to be able to corral them. They had gone to the superintendent and the students wanted to see someone higher than the superintendent. Hmm. They called me. I was at Rotary. I'll never forget. I was at Rotary, the Friday Rotary. I get a call. I, I get a text that said, would you mind coming by here? Very hostile environment. Hmm. But, you know, these kids had walked out. There was about, uh, about 50 or 60 of them. And what I noticed in, in talking to those kids, you could see, you could see out of the, the kids, you had a few of them that they just went along just so they could cut school and get out. <laughs> right. you, saw, you saw a good portion of them that had genuine fear in their eyes. They had genuine fear that, that uh, the state of Texas was going to round up their mom and dad and send them home. Mm. It was a genuine, absolute fear and 
what was going to happen to them if that happened to mom and dad. Now you tell me as an elected and you're sitting there in front of these kids that are all ninth through 12th grade and you're sitting there as an Anglo guy who doesn't have, who does, who doesn't have to worry about that has never had to worry about that. And that's the constituency that you represent and you're able to, one, the fact that I showed up and that I, that I went there as a, wait a minute, this is someone from the state. This is someone who represents us at the state. And I'll never forget, I mean, this, this one, one little girl, she's junior. Uh, I mean, she was so, ang- the anger in her eyes and in her face and in her, you could just see it, but it was anger born out of fear. Mm. When I walk them through the process of what the state was trying to do, how we were actually trying to protect, in many cases, uh, immigrant communities because they're taken advantage of by uh, transnational gangs, all that kind of there's there's a whole subculture that happened, or not subculture, but a whole sub uh, uh, section of uh, victims that the victims will not come forward because they may themselves be undocumented. And right. you can talk about that with chief die or, or with, with chief Sesney of how they really want these folks to go. If you're a victim, you got it. You've come forward. We're not looking to, uh, to deport victims. We're not looking right. to take advantage of victims and that, but that type of accessibility uh, at the end of the discussion, I was there for about an hour, hour and a half. And the end of the discussion, I said the the school administration had promised them that after talking, that they could either you know if they wanted to go ahead and leave, they would not stop them from leaving. Every one of those kids went back to class. Mm. Every one of them, not because I think of what I said, but because that I took the time to say, look, this is, this is really why we're doing what we're doing. Here is my cell phone number. And I held my cell phone up just like that. And I'll get, I'll give it to you guys as well. Uh, 214-293-8067. 214-293-8067. If you want to put that at the very beginning, you can put it at the very beginning, you know, however you want to do it. That's, that's the way I stayed in contact. And I gave them that. So if you run into anything, you call me. You have your parents call me. And well, you did something very important. You validated, you validated what yeah. they were experiencing. I mean, just by showing up and uh, you're, what you're talking about is empathy. And that's, yeah. it's being able to look at somebody in the face and understand that their, their, their feelings matter. You might not agree with them, but their feelings are important and acknowledge that mm-hmm. they exist. And I think that you made a very good point is saying, when you look at somebody in the face and you look at someone in their eyes, now tell me how you could not be affected by that. All too often, I think that we are so in this social media culture where we don't see the other person and we don't really understand where they're coming from. But you, to be able to do that is so very, oh my gosh, it's just so very important. Um, And you know what, here's the other part too. What you did was, you created, and Chief Sesney and I actually talked about this, a trust, because there's a lot of people that don't trust the system. Right. And they see that they can trust 
what do they do? Now they go tell their kids that you can trust the system and they go tell their friends you can trust the system because I met this person, I met, you know, Representative Anderson and he came and so I get it that that's, that's why this matters. And Chief Sesney talks a lot about that, being able to trust police department. And when you, when you have like this distrust. And um, so for me, when I witness stuff like that, me as a person that's not even elected official, I can say, call him, talk to them. They don't feel the way that you think that they feel. I'm telling you right now, call them and talk to them. It's, it's about, yes, there's not always a trust in the system, yeah. but there needs to be somewhat of a trust in the system. Well, what's, what, what, the reason I'm laughing is because a lot of times the only thing that people see is around, uh, is around election time when, when they're told you know, that, uh, that this individual is a horrible individual, this individual is this, they're this, they're the, and which, again, that's a lot of times it's the only thing people see. You know, is how you know how does any of that what you know the positive stuff I talk about? How does that go onto a push card? How does that go into a mail piece? It, it just it really just doesn't. And, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And that's that's. But like, that's why I was giggling. Yeah, it's nobody. I mean, but it's true, and it, it's it's you know it's that, that's why I try to. I always try to be a be an advocate for elected officials, I'm not advocating for what you say, I'm not advocating for what you believe, but I'm advocating for you. And I'm saying, look, we don't, I don't wanna be an elected official. That's not something I have the ability to do, nor do I want to, but I can advocate for people to go talk to you. And that's, I think you just explained a very good scenario in which why that's important is to be able to just validate, you know? And, for, and again, for me, I'm uh, I'm not a I'm not an elected anymore, and I I don't try to go out and and uh, I understand why most former electeds try and stay out of the out of the way of the others, and because I under you know I have empathy, I I know what uh, my Democratic counterpart, I know what she's going through, you know, as as a state rep, and I know that, you know it is a it's a lot of time away from home, it's a lot of time away from family, it's uh it's many times you know, there, there's a lot of perks that go with it but it's it, it it if you're doing it and doing it right it is a um it, it your income suffers from it your your business mm -hmm. suffers from it because and the same holds true you know if you're at, at a city council or a school board level i mean you're you're uh expected to be at uh you know every open house every uh, event every you know it's just it becomes expected and if you're if you're working, if you're uh, you know, earning a living, I mean, it, it's very very difficult to be at everything, and uh, and that's why again, I just encourage your your listeners, please go directly to your electeds, because what you what you get in the mail come election time, what you get, mm -hmm. it, it's it, there's you know, politics is a, is an ugly sport. It is a, my granddad told me when, when I first got, he goes, I don't think your, your skin's thick enough. And one of the things that happens is you kind of get, you know, after the first few, you know, after the, a certain number of arrows, you just kind of go, okay, whatever. And, <laughs> uh, and you learn to, uh, to just let it go. And, um, yeah, I wish it, all of, I wish everybody that I knew could spend one day with somebody from especially like a local, like a city councilman or an, a, cause I've had the ability to do that because I've grown up in this town. So I have friends that I know, and I've been there when there's been a problem on 
you know, school board, like an emergency, like, oh my gosh, a student is missing and they're away with a teacher and we don't know where they are. I've been on the other side where I've watched those calls come in and yeah. seen how much, you know, I've seen how much it can affect somebody when there's just incessant, like, you know. Um, and it never stops. And it never stops. There's I've always something. There's always something. And so I think that's why, that's what I gives me a little bit different of a perspective about elected officials because I see it. I see it. And it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not an easy life to choose and you choose it. And it's, I think it's something that needs in, to be respected. And I'm not somebody that thinks that not everybody's in it for the power trip because there are some that are, but like most of the time you, you guys are doing it because you really just want to make your communities better. And I think that that's a good thing. And it's, yeah. you know, that, that's exactly, that's exactly what you, uh, you know, when, when, when I first ran, you know, I, when I ran against Kurt, you know, I, it was one of these, you know, nobody else was going to do that. And there was, yeah. uh, you know, Karen had run against him the year before. She was thinking about running again. And uh, it was one that uh, it, it made more sense for me to do it at that time. And, um, you know, I, I hold no ill will, especially now that you're having been in office. And no, you know, he was in office about the same same amount of time I was. Uh, I mean, it's yeah, it. I, I still got a, a lot of respect for him. And he and I have worked a lot of auctions with Jeff. You know, just you know, working working the room on the, on other sides. And um, mm -hmm. I got I got I've got a lot of respect for anybody who's willing to put their name in the hat. I think you know Brian Parr is the newest uh, of the uh, electeds uh, coming in uh, uh, school board, uh, and he'll you. Know, he'll have, have a learning curve that he'll have to go through as well, just like, you know, everybody else before him. And, you know, there, there is a, a point experience does matter. And um, so anyway, but I, I've, I've taken, it's, it's, you know, I, if anybody's still, you're still on, you know, from an hour and a half or however you're going to do this, you know, God love you. Thank you so much. Again, if you ever need me, uh, I'm easy, easy to find. Uh, still out there. Yes. My website's still active at rodneyanderson.org. Uh, it still it really needs to be updated because I haven't updated it since I lost. So <laughs> really need to update it, but I keep it active. Uh, and then my cell number, 293-8067, 214-293-8067. Anybody can reach me anytime. I'll put, I'll put links up to everything so people can find you, but I just so appreciate it. Thank you so much. You are certainly welcome. If you ever need me on again, give me a holler. You know I will. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Jenna. Have Bye. a great afternoon. Take care. Bye. -bye. You too. Bye-bye.